0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam, and my name is Jeremy, and we are here to discuss Uncanny X Men number two hundred sixty-three, the early July nineteen ninety cover date, on sale May first nineteen ninety, cover price of a dollar. It's titled "The Lower Depths." the depths. It's hard, It's a hard word to enunciate on a podcast. The lower depths. Depths. You okay over there? No. Okay.
1: Yep, the cover of this guy is Forge sitting on a mountaintop.
0: A mountaintop of bodies.
1: Yeah, he's got spirits flying around him. Um, Yeah. He's holding on to, like, his his talisman around his neck. His uh, dog tags are are flapping about. So you know that this has got to have something to do with his time in the NOM.
0: I'm betting that this issue is about Forge. Adam, did you ever read the NOM? Uh, so there are a few issues on Marvel Unlimited mm-hmm. that I have read most of. It uh, doesn't have the complete run, but I've read maybe maybe a dozen or so.
1: So I never read any of the NOM, but I remember that they promoted it pretty heavily, uh, in, especially G.I. Joe, uh, and I always thought uh, that it was a prequel to G.I. Joe. I had no <laughs> idea what a NOM was.
0: I see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, And I fe- feel like, and since they were promoting it so heavily in the pages of G.I. Joe, I felt that it would only make sense that it would be yeah. a direct tie-in. Like, this is what the Joes were doing before. They were Joes.
0: I believe Larry Hama was a supervisor of that, or, or he was like so, somehow related to it where he was like a fact-checker type guy, but I, I don't know if that was through the whole series or just the initial series. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Anyways, uh, maybe, maybe in the world that I created, Forge, uh, was also a character
0: in the nom. Eventually the nom starts talking about, uh, Frank Castle's experience in the nom. Oh, interesting. And, uh, you can tell that that's sort of the end of the run because they're running out of things to do. So they're like, let's bring the Punisher in. And, uh, I haven't read those issues. So the
1: cover on this one says The Agony of Forge And it also says now on sale twice a month
0: It's summer, everybody
1: Yep, get get used to Guest artists and fill-ins
0: <laughs> And all your favorite comics Are double up Because they want your money
1: So this one starts off uh, It's Forge In fact, in the lower depths As the title would have you Know
0: Depths, 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 depths.
1: Uh, and it is written by Chris Claremont. We've got a penciler here, uh, Bill Jaska, inkers Joseph Rubenstein, letterer Tom Morzakowski. Colorist is Glenn Oliver, editors Bob Harris, and the editor in chief is Tom DeFalco. And uh, Forge is uh, he's in the he's in the Morlock
0: tunnels. Is this supposed to remind us of the time that Wolverine was alone in the Morlock tunnels or I guess he wasn't. Was he in the Morlock tunnels? He was underneath the hellfire club, but maybe does that connect?
1: That was the last page of that issue where he, he like turns around. It's that classic John Byrne pose and he pops his claws. and He's all angry. Uh, no, maybe, I don't know. The color scheme seems to be more or less the same. This one lacks all of the, Heart of that last image.
0: Yeah, it's not a. Well, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to have that as a first image, I no. suppose.
1: Maybe, maybe it is. Uh, Bill Jask is like, this is my one chance to draw X Men, so I'm going to do my um, oma my homage.
0: Did Bill Jaska do the last issue where we got the uh, the last page was mutant or super mutant uh, Storm or uh, Jean Grey and Banshee?
1: Ugh, uh, you're going to make me look. I'm uh, looking. It was Kieran
0: Dwyer, so no, okay, that was also a good last page, shocking,
1: uh, and we don't pick up right from there. We pick up where it almost thinks it almost looks like we're we're like a little bit before the events of the last panel of the last issue, uh, in which Forge is kind of giving us a rundown of like I was in the Nam, I invent things,
0: yeah, he's kind of setting us up for the stage of this issue, which is really gonna be a forge and Nam issue and not. Really, a uh, I don't know. I don't want to say it's not an X Men issue, but it doesn't really doesn't really seem. I guess it moves the plot forward in the end. I don't know. I I've I found this. I was I was very tired when I read this, <laughs> and I honestly don't remember most of what happens. Which I'm not sure if that's if that's my fault. I guess I'll find out. Um,
1: well, the the opening here is kind of a bait and switch to a degree. I mean, we get the intro that you just mentioned, uh, setting us all up for. Uh, Nam and uh, Forge makes things type of an issue um, and then some tentacles drop in from behind him. He turns around and he's ready with his gun and uh, i it's Jean and she's like, hey, I'm back. So evidently some time has progressed since the last panel of the last issue. Um, and Jean is now getting more and more used to her tentacles. She's like braiding her hair with one set. She's like holding a rat for some reason.
0: That disturbs me. Why is she holding a rat? <laughs>
1: that doesn't... I just noticed that, to be honest. And and the funny thing <laughs> is it's like the first thing you see in the foreground. Um Otherwise, she's got like her tentacles wrapped around like all the tubes and the pipes and stuff. Um And he thinks to himself, like, oh, I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at me. It was daydreaming, which will also be a recurring theme in the issue. Uh, So he's kind of mad at himself for letting Gene get the drop on him.
0: Red's name is Gene Gray, founding member of the outfit I have pretty much hooked up with, a team of mutants called the X-Men. They've seen better days. So has she. There's a reason I'm using this Wolverine voice. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It just basically sounds like Wolverine (laughs) self-dialogue.
1: Yes, this whole issue is narrated very Wolverine-esque, which is strange, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, And then we talk about the Morlocks, right? Gene's like, oh, the Morlocks, they were slaughtered by the Marauders. And then we get some images of Nightcrawler getting hit with arc lights, little ninja stars, and uh, Angel being pegged up against the wall. These look like, like little, like giant like
0: uh, Railroad Spikes, but he was nailed up there with Harpoons Harpoons. How do you remember all these people's names? You got Arclight, you got Harpoon? <laughs> I read Mutant Massacre a lot of times when I was a kid. Maybe in Gene's memory, uh, Angel got stuck to the wall by Railroad. Spikes? He had his, his, his Railroad Spikes, and that, that's the guy, his name is Spike. No, M- no. I'm Spike <laughs>
1: <laughs> His name would be Railroad. Or, or just Railroad Spike. You
0: railroad know, Spike, probably. You know
1: what my power is? I throw Railroad Spikes at people.
0: <laughs> I'm really good at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so then they talk a little bit about... Uh, oh, then they talk about, like, yeah, the, the Marauders are mostly dead. Mr. Sinister's dead. Uh, and then we get reintroduced to the Reavers, who are the next threats. When will it all end? Beats me red.
0: Is this what our future holds, Forge, to kill or be
1: killed? Forge has invented things called eye spies and he's got them scoping out various paths through the tunnels. So that's how we're going to get, well, that's how we're going to see things, I guess, progress through the episode.
0: Didn't, uh, what's her name, have an eye spy back in a couple issues ago in Australia? Um, Lady Deathstrike? Probably. I thought she had an eye spy. How did she get one?
1: As we learn in this issue, anything that Forge can think of, he can invent. So if on the island Lady Deathstrike was like, send out my eye spies, and Forge was like, ooh, eye spy. That sounds like a great idea. He can then invent it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Jean is like, oh, man, I really don't like these things. She won't refer to them
0: as tentacles. What well, you figure your life is ruined because of how you look? Look at me, I got a robot hand and I got a robot leg. You wouldn't like to see me in the pool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he does say that with me in my shorts, and nobody else does either. I guess I'm assuming without his. Um, and I think we saw him once at at his pool, without all of his. Um, what do you call him? The the yeah,
0: with, with his without his limbs. Yeah. At first, I thought he was talking about his junk. I'll be honest. <laughs>
1: i got robot junk you don't want to see that and uh so anyways he's like yeah you got you got tentacles and uh you know that's cool How, how's your telepathic powers uh and so she attempts to use her telepathic powers and this is pretty interesting she loses control of her tentacles and she's like well it's one or the other uh but these tentacles are super strong and super dex have super dexterity which I'm thinking to myself, like, and I know it doesn't happen, but I'm like, you know what? I would like to see a year uh, where Jean is, like, coping with this. And ultimately it gets resolved. But for a run of X Factor, uh, she's Jean Grey. She's got tentacle arms. Scott's got to deal with, like, oh, my God, I I just asked this woman to marry me. I don't know if I can get over these tentacles. And, she fights Doc uh, Hawk. <laughs> well, I don't know if I go that far. That's a little too obvious. But and then she's, you know, she's got to wrestle with everybody's looking at me different. I'm a freak. And then she's got has to go through like a, uh, you know, just to build self confidence. And only when she's finally comfortable with her tentacle arms does something happen that reverts her arms back to, to normal. But uh, spoilers. By the end of this issue, everything's normal.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh, Tony Stark invents a something to allow her to have surgery to remove the arms
1: that would that's maybe even more clever than what they ultimately do to resolve this issue i don't know if you remember it because you said
0: you were so tired uh, d- d- uh yeah i think i do remember because okay. i i I, re- I read that last page because i was like oh everything's back to normal when did that happen and i had to like review it a couple of times to yes. figure out exactly what had happened
1: and we'll we'll talk about that but uh, yeah in the meantime I would have liked to have seen that they, they established these tentacles and like the limitations. And I don't even think that limitation comes into play for the rest of the issue. It's not like they set up something so that later on she's like, Oh rats, if only I would have had my telepathy, I've been able to get out of this situation.
0: I, I like, I like the the explanation that they have for her not being able to use her telepathy, just that her telepathy requires her to have kind of a consciousness of her body and with all of these new limbs she's kind of uh uncomfortable with her body at this point it seems to imply that at some point she would be able to get her telepathy back once she's used to all of the tentacles but we don't get that far.
1: Exactly, right? Or or she's able to kind of find the balance. So when she's right. using her telepathy, her control over the tentacles are a little less. She's not quite as strength. So she's not like Spider-Man, like zipping around, flying around, and doing telepathy. It's kind of one or the other, but at least she doesn't fall down like she does in this panel. Again, I think it's a really well-thought-out balance of, like, augmentation and powers that has zero payoff.
0: The... Problem I have. Well, doesn't it? It's not really a problem, but I was confused because he says tele telepathy, and I thought she had telekinesis.
1: So, and there is a, a device that is floating. I think. Well, I, I think ever since the whole Inferno thing, she's got like mild telepathy.
0: Well, it's so 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 that's what I thought too. Until oh. we get to the X Factor issue that we cover this month, where yeah, that... Scott at some point says point blank. It's a good thing you don't have telepathy anymore or you'd know that I was lying to you. <laughs> I feel like so we'll get to that. I, I feel like nobody
1: was in charge of that issue.
0: <laughs> it, it is a bit of a mess.
1: <laughs> and somebody's child like drew it and I don't remember who the writer is but it it can't be like
0: I think it's Louise Simon. Oh my
1: then she was she also she also gave it to like a, a nephew. and <laughs> said, so you, you write this. I don't really care. Uh yeah. Anyways, i spy has found something and it's Mask. Kind of. I mean it is Mask, but it just it's looks mask.
0: like It's Mask. I've just never seen him look like this before.
1: No, he normally when you see Mask, he's got he's got his robes on, he's got his hood on. Uh in this image, he looks like a a homeless pastor. He's got he's got like rosaries it looks like. He's got like a like a Pastor's scarf, I don't know what you call that, and he's got like a big cloak. He's got gray hair. His face is ugly, but he could just look like an ugly old man. He doesn't look like mask.
0: See, I thought he was like a rich CEO. <laughs> he just happened to be an old man. Oh. But Pastor works too. Yeah,
1: either way. But uh point is doesn't look like a raggedy morlock living in the in the tunnels.
0: No, I mean, other other than the fact that he's kind of got a mushed up face a little bit, he looks pretty normal.
1: Yeah. It's not until later, I think that third panel where you're like, oh, I guess that could kind of be Mask or the fourth panel, I guess.
0: Well, that's the thing is like sometimes he looks like that and other times he doesn't. It's weird. It's, it's inconsistent art.
1: Yeah. Well, I also think that the colorist was confused as to what they were supposed to be doing because this bigger image, it looks like he's got gray hair, but I think throughout the rest of them, he's bald.
0: Okay. So, so that was supposed to be a highlight.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing. So I was supposed to, yeah. Um... Anyways, uh Mask is here. He's got he's got some some other like slave morlocks that he keeps like kind of mutating and morphing into various old X-Men.
0: Yeah. It looks like he swaps Well, that must be a camera trick cuz like looks like he swaps places of the two. I no, know. He he does cuz the one's got eyes and then the one turns into Beast and then the Nightcrawler one turns into uh the uh I don't know, the Toxic Avenger.
1: Yeah. I think he's just, like, morphing him around. So Nightcrawler turns into Toxic Event. Or, actually, he looks more like um, the dude in RoboCop after he falls into the nuclear waste, like, right before he gets splattered on the windshield.
0: He looks like Jason Voorhees.
1: Uh, well, that too. Actually, Jason <laughs> Voorhees is missing an eye, though. This guy clearly has of his eyes.
0: Are you sure that's not just a gaping hole that somebody miscolored?
1: <laughs> that's a possibility. <laughs>
0: Uh, At any rate. In, uh,
1: in the background, you've got a Wolverine and a, and a Havoc. And this is all very important. Uh, Mask has got something with uh, using his his uh, flesh-manipulating abilities to create X-Men. Um, again, I, I feel like Chris Claremont's not really writing this uh, because Mask is able to do things we've never been able to see him do before.
0: So, like like I said earlier... It sounds like Wolverine is narrating the Forge stuff. So in that sense, it's very much Chris Claremont's voice.
1: mm
0: mm-hmm. um, But I see what you're saying. It doesn't feel like it's – I don't know. It feels outside of the X-Men that we're used to.
1: Yep. Uh, Nicholas, Peter, and Pretty Lady are here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, they, they don't know how they got here, but we find out that uh, Mask has got a teleporter – and the teleporter nabbed them. I'm guessing this is probably right after X-Factor 55 or whatever we just read.
0: Yeah, which we knew about because of all the bamps and ah, all the, ah.
1: the
0: flits and whatever it was. That's right. And then he calls her Callisto. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> and you were right. And I was I was still confused, though, because I can't tell who he's talking to when he says, Why, Callisto, you have a champion. Um, And then I was like, Oh, wait, is he talking about her? I guess so.
1: Right, because there's a there's a there's a kitty pride. There's uh, the girl in the foreground. Is that supposed to be a storm with a yellow mask,
0: or is that just it's a, yeah, it's a storm?
1: Okay. And uh, well, so here's the other thing. I don't think I ever connected this either because this this issue and the last issue, I don't think I had uh, growing up. Um, so as I was rereading this, like not much of it was, um, not much of it was. Uh, I was was I remembering?
0: It's not. Very memorable, honestly.
1: <laughs> I mean that that could be it, uh, but I like so in this panel, uh, mask. Well, so I, the thing that would have stood out to me is Mask's abilities up until now has been to shape people's faces. Um, mm-hmm. He has not had the ability to shape people's bodies, which I guess we haven't gotten to quite yet. Nor has he had the ability to shape the clothes people wear. Mm so i think both of those would have been like oh yeah this is that issue where mask does things that he doesn't ever do
0: maybe there's an explanation for it but he just never got around to explaining it maybe like in chris claremont's mind he's like okay so (laughs) max mask had this thing happen to him that i know about i just got to figure out a place to put this sure i'll do it next issue that next issue never came
1: so uh i guess pretty this uh, well Callisto it's Callisto the pretty girl that's been on all of the um, billboards and such is is Callisto I guess maybe she's been telling mask all about Peter Nicholas because mask is like I'm I'm told Peter Nicholas you're something of an artist
0: yeah the whole thing is kind of loose Um, so what we find out is that Callisto was following Peter around because she kind of looked like or he kind of looks like Peter Although nobody realizes oh. that it is Peter, and um mask also wants him because he kind of looks like Peter again, not realizing that he is Peter because he's collecting x men
1: wh- so that the mask connection makes sense why Why would Callisto care about Peter? Yeah,
0: like I said, it's all very loose uh, oh, okay it, it, it- maybe because that's the only person she has to turn to It's like, oh that guy looks like peter maybe maybe he'll lead me to the x men and I can get on the phone with Banshee. Um, <laughs> the whole the whole plot doesn't make any sense because, like, uh, Mask is turning uh, Callisto into a supermodel and then, what, taking photos of him and sending them out to magazines to go on billboards? Well. Like, what a fiendish plot. <laughs> we, we learn. We do it's learn later. It's
1: we do learn later, and this is what I said, I think earlier on. Um, I don't remember. Somebody will have to check the tapes. Not going to be me, but that mask took away her identity, took away her strength. Her strength came from, you know, her, her being a tough, punky, ugly woman, I guess, which, which is great. That
0: I, that I can totally okay. jive with.
1: And so I don't know why she became a supermodel or or any of those things. That doesn't – maybe that was just so Mask could raise some money.
0: I have to imagine it's part of Mask's plan, which is just – that's the bizarre part. It's like, I'm going to make you pretty and you hate that. And then I'm going to make you a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> Ha-ha! That, like seems like a lot of time. I wonder – If
1: there will be an exposition dump somewhere down the road where Callisto will be like, oh, man, let me tell you what Mask wanted to do. It was crazy because this issue doesn't explain it. Maybe
0: there was a Dazzler graphic novel style explanation for it was like Callisto, the graphic novel. Oh. And it talks about her her whole career. That'd be amazing
1: if there was like a lost graphic novel that was all (laughs) planned out and it's going to be painted and it was just going to go in depth into the psychological – uh, uh, falling of Callisto. And it was going to be so convoluted and whatever, but it was going to be so well written and so well painted that you're just going to completely forget about the plot and be like, I'm with this. And then it just yeah. never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, part of the plan is to, to strip Callisto of everything she was by, by taking away that power and making her beautiful, which makes her question herself. The rest of it, I don't know. But to your point, I don't, it feels like, I guess we skipped the point of where mask is like I can do whatever I want to. You're an artist. Here, why don't you look at the world through bug eyes? And he gives
0: him uh Peter, he gives Peter fly eyes.
1: But then he's like, "You know, you," he says, "this is terrible. This is absolute this and this is indicative of what will happen at the end of the issue." He says <laughs> Silly me. I should have seen the resemblance from the start. Parentheses. Then again, why? Since I've never met the X-Men Colossus, so to speak, in the flesh. And parentheses. Peter Rasputin, Peter Nicholas. They might almost be twins.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I read that. I was like, oh, come on.
0: Um. Also, another situation where in this close-up of Mask, he looks like he's decaying. And then we zoom out and he doesn't look like he's decaying.
1: He looks like Leech with yes, decaying eyes. And then you get the far shot and he just it looks like uh, Friday, the 13th part three, Jason. <laughs> and there's a difference. Uh, um, what would have worked better, but clearly nobody was caring or in the mood to write this issue, is if we've we've already established these background images that Mask has a collection of X-Men. For him to be like, I need a Colossus. And then to transform Peter Nicholas or Nicholas Peter into Colossus and be like, huh, weird. You really look the part. And then just to move on with the rest of the story. And then everything else can unfold exactly the same way. But this is like, you look like Colossus even though I've never met him. So I'm going to make you into Colossus.
0: It's it's strange. Yeah. But, but Mask is uh, clearly a very complicated man, as we're <laughs> learning.
1: Clearly. So he's able to transform all of Peter Nicholas into all of Colossus, not just his face.
0: Yeah, he mm-hmm. basically gives Peter Nicholas the metallic aspect of Colossus
1: and aspect only he does go on to say that it's only a look uh still flesh so i guess it's it's silver metal looking flesh yeah and silver or i guess black metal shiny hair
0: and then he turns callisto back to callisto including an eye patch which maybe she had in her pocket yeah yeah get your eye
1: patch ready here <laughs> it comes
0: And, yeah, he changes her clothes as well, as you mentioned. She goes from wearing a white dress to wearing her Callisto uniform.
1: Which is, whatever, not a a power (laughs) that he had previously. Although I wonder if this is like truly Marvel method where Chris Claremont gave, I can't remember the artist's name, gave him... Jaska. 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 Bill Jaska. This is what I want to do. And Bill Jaska's like, "I I got it, Chris. Drew all this, handed it in to Chris, and Chris is like, "Oh man, <laughs> oh well."
0: <laughs> that's why they called me the wordsmith.
1: Yeah, let me just dump some dialogue on here, but he's not even explaining away. Like, like five minutes later, after Callisto changes and gets an eye patch on.
0: <laughs> so, well, that's because he has to save his exposition dump for the rest of the page, mm-hmm. where <laughs> Mask tells Callisto that she, if she can escape, by an hour with Colossus, they won't. They're going to start hunting them after an hour, and then Forge can uh, talk about how yeah, Callisto doesn't know the ma- the the tunnels like she used to because Mask's been affecting them the same way as he does with people. And yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of talk.
1: Don't know how Mask or or Forge knows that, but
0: sure. Look around, Red. In some ways, Mask's affecting this labyrinth the same as he does people. Like that pipe there. Notice how it's. It's
1: different. <laughs> I read it from the files. That pipe's not supposed to be there.
0: On their own, I'd say those two don't have, don't have a chance, Mr. Optimist.
1: So the next uh, two pages are very wordy. And um, I'm going I'm to try to attempt to summarize what I think is happening. Uh, and then you can tell me if I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I, I do want to say that sure. the, the place that they're going to is called Wannabes. Oh, I missed that. That's uh, kind of cool.
1: It's it's in the Washington Beltway, uh, I guess politicians go here. It's it's drinking, it's dancing, it's like a major dis-
0: attitudes with clothes to match. Yeah, it's is that Arsenio? Home?
1: I, no, I don't know. The black guy's got to be like a um, like Secret Service or something. He's got the shades on, he's got the suit on. But when the women walk in, he's like, "Let me straighten my tie and whistle, hey ladies." <laughs> Um, so when I'm watching C-SPAN and I'm, I'm watching all the politicians on the floor doing their debates and, and, uh, whatnot, I do not imagine them going to wannabes, although it'd be amazing if, you know, Mitch McConnell was
0: heading into this place. <laughs> well, to be fair, it does say that Val Kilber would never, Val Cooper would never be caught dead in a place like this. They, they even call it a meat rack. It's fair. It's fair. Uh,
1: Val Cooper's like all business, though. Um, But it says, like, within the Beltway, the place to go, especially if you fit the description, I guess is maybe this isn't where the politicians go. This is just where the hep cool Washington, D.C. kids go. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Washington, D.C., pretty big city from what I understand. So, okay.
0: The whole purpose of Valerie Cooper coming to this place is that no one would notice that she's there. But what is she doing? Uh, I don't.
1: All right. (laughs) She meets with a Russian colonel who is warning them of Genosha, basically, Uh, but then also goes on even further to talk about like, hey, it's not just Magneto anymore who thought we could all coexist with with uh, mutant kind on top and us humans like hanging out with them. Now you got like Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister and they just want to take over everything. Oh, plus another who remains as yet identified, which I I think this whole thing is to set up like there's a couple of new threats coming down the pike. I think we might need to work together. It's Genosha and the Shadow King.
0: See, I thought this was setting up the Mutant War.
1: Uh, He does talk about Genosha. So I feel like the factions, like we talked about the Mutant War before and all of these mutant factions. In fact, he even goes on to say like... Factions are showing up um, with folks choosing their own, uh, choosing up sides and their own agenda. So I feel like you would end up with probably like a mutant, he even says Mutant Liberation Front. So you're going to end up with like the new mutants on the Mutant Liberation Front, the X-Men and maybe X-Factor in one faction, or... I don't know if it was going to go this far. Maybe one of those two teams is corrupted by the Shadow King, and then you're going to have Genosha. And I feel like all three or four of those various factions were going to run into this mutant war. And as that article said, you know, it would go on, and 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 the the um, effects of it would be felt to the Marvel Universe with casual, all sorts of casualties and a big shakeup in the mutant world. Obviously never happened. So I think this is a big setup for that. Ultimately, I think it's just going to break down to, like, this is the seeds for the extinction agenda. Yeah. Uh, and whatever the heck happens with the shadow King,
0: which I think happens directly after extinction agenda, or maybe, maybe I I forget. Maybe it's right before. I don't remember.
1: I don't remember. Oh yeah. I do actually remember. I do like
0: how he says not so long ago, many of the world's supervillains united in a concerted, coordinated assault on the heroes acts vengeance. Yep. It's a, it's it's not, not gonna leave. It's kind of. Uh, I mean, it's the same way Inferno is yeah. never gonna leave, but it it shows up in months after. Uh, they they eventually die down.
1: You know, you get yeah, fewer course. and fewer Inferno references, and hopefully, hopefully, this is the last Acts of Vengeance reference, but probably not.
0: It probably is for X Men, but I know it's happening. It's popping up in other comics.
1: So there's a lot of dialogue to kind of to kind of set this whole thing up, um, and then we go back to the Morlock tunnels, where Forge continues to think of his nom buddies. Uh, there's a big plan. Apparently, they they have to like hold out for a while, and then. Um...
0: So this this is the part I probably skipped over the quickest. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt to me like we were going over the same territory as we did in a previous issue. Where uh, Forge talks about his buddies and how he something about he brought spirits out and the spirits. Yeah, it was Fall something. of the Mutants. This, this. Yeah, it was the Fall of the Mutants right before he, uh, where the X Men went into the Siege Perilous.
1: Yep. I mean, this. I think this closes the book on that whole storyline. Not that I really feel like it needed closing, but I guess we're gonna do it anyway. So these are the buddies that he cast the spell on in the fall of the mutants okay. um that opened so up the port- right yeah that opened up the portal and whatever that he ultimately had to shut down uh, or i guess that Naze reopened or somehow corrupted that forge had to shut back down using the souls of the x-men Uh, But he keeps going into, like, this daydream thing and, like, reliving these. And he keeps getting snuck up on. This time it's by a mouthless Banshee. Always creepy. Yep. And he's like, oh, man, Mask did this to... Well, let me back up a second. So we can assume that Mask did this to Gene and Banshee. Mm -hmm. But nowhere does it say that until this page where Forge is like, Uh, Banshee's powers of sonic scream. Mask took care of that by taking away his total capacity to make vocal sounds, which infers that he did the same thing to Gene.
0: Yeah. I don't
1: know if that was obvious to you that Mask did this.
0: I mean... Yeah, I mean... But
1: they never say, like, Mask came out of nowhere and changed my arms into tentacles for some reason.
0: It hadn't occurred to me that it could have been anything else.
1: Sure, of course. Well, if you think about it, though, in... Two issues ago, when Forge and Banshee were running around the basement, uh, the sub-levels of the mansion, they're like, oh, look, it's Jean up there. And then, like, crazy people grab her. Right. Um, And then I guess she's rescued. So, I I mean, it was Mask, I guess, and his his mutants the uh, whole time. Yep. But, I don't know. I feel like there should have been something of, like, Forge, or not Forge, but Mask being, like, well, so this makes sense. Like, having can she not be able to make noise? Makes sense. Why did mask decide to give gene super strong and dexterous tentacles?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's just a creative guy. He can't stop the, the creative impulse. I can't stop creating. I'm an artist.
1: <laughs> so they're like, all right, well, let's go get mask. <laughs> and, uh, to, to emphasize my point, uh, Jean's like, I can keep up, and she jumps up into the air and just starts, like, octopus, um, well, spider-manning along the the Morlock tunnels. And she's like, this is incredible. I just think of what I want to do. Wait. I just think of what I want to (laughs) do, and my, well, they respond instinctively, the same as my normal arms or legs would. She doesn't want to call them tentacles. She's not ready to let go of her arms.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. Meh. I mean, I guess, you know, you wouldn't want to give a name to him, I suppose. But she could just call them her arms. My new arms, my multi-arms. Sure, my new arms would have worked. My purple arms.
1: Meanwhile, uh, Colossus and Callisto are, are running uh, through the... Uh, tunnels and uh, Callisto gives us the exposition dump I gave you a while ago of of how oh he makes me beautiful and takes my power away and it makes me not think of who I am and right before Colossus's eyes she turns beautiful and her eye grows back I guess so Mask has permanently altered her and now just temporarily from time to time alters her back to Callisto to give her a little bit of hope and then to take it away I guess psychological gains
0: which is which is okay I, I I could buy that a mask does that. I, what I don't understand is his control over the eyeball. It's like suddenly <laughs> she can't see well, and doesn't have an eyeball, and then over time it kind of grows back.
1: <laughs> he can take mouths away and and give them back. Um, I don't know it it does seem a little far fetched right? There seems to me from like a like a powers perspective, there's probably far less physics involved in taking a mouth away and restoring a mouth, then destroying an eyeball and completely rebuilding it such that it can see and <laughs> whatnot. But, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the temporary, like, change is a thing we've never seen masks do before either. It's always yeah. been like, I got to touch you to change you, and then I always get threatened to fix people, so then I got to touch them to fix them.
0: This seems to be something exclusive to Callisto at this point.
1: Because otherwise, like, Every time he's changed somebody and been forced to change him back, wouldn't he be like, "I'll change him back for an hour," <laughs> and then an hour later they suffocate and die because he's taken away their noses and mouths. That's never yeah. happened before.
0: Yeah. So this is yeah, you're right. It's all new. All new.
1: <laughs> Anyways, uh, Peter Nicholas is like, uh, "You're you. You don't have to worry about what you look like. Just be you."
0: so or oh, I guess he speaks. He's. Say, you're not the woman you were. Part of your life is lost to you. That happens. Does that mean you give up? Does it have to change who you are? (laughs) He's from Brooklyn. (laughs) I was just getting as far away from Russian as I could. Sure. I was almost doing a shipwreck there.
1: You were kind of.
0: Not on purpose.
1: Callisto instinctively reacts to something she sees. She knocks down Peter Nicholas.
0: Oh, he's got a little ponytail back there. Yeah. I didn't even notice that.
1: Little, little class's ponytail, <laughs> and uh, one of—I guess it's been an hour because one of Mask's mutants leaps out. This one, I think, has got wings. I think its name is Angel, but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, it, it's supposed it to be Angel. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she flips him over and breaks his neck. Crack. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when the storm creature with the
0: face. Tongue grabs Callisto. Pity about my angel, says Mask. Perhaps, dear Cal, your artist here will serve as a suitable replacement. Once he's learned his lesson about who's in charge, and he takes out a knife as Peter is charging him, and he stabs Peter in the chest. And Jean Grey says Oh Jean Grey's there now. Yep. Now isn't that <laughs> strange? I was just figuring pretty much the same thing about you. And I had to go back to figure out what he was, she was referring to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once he's learned his lesson about who's in charge. So Jean's in charge, yep. I guess. This dialogue is clunky. She is on top.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So she wraps his, her tentacle around his waist and then punches him across the face with a different tentacle,
0: I guess. Yeah. Um, She's tentacles. That's who she ooh. would be if she, uh, if she kept these. I. Yeah.
1: Tentacles girl, just to kind of keep up with the Marvel girl. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Forge is daydreaming again, once again, or once again about the Nom, but then comes back to reality to see. Are they looking at a busy screen or are they in a corridor?
0: They're in a corridor.
1: Okay, and they're seeing the fight. Uh, there's a Wolverine in the background. Tentacles girl has mask, I think, up in the air. Maybe
0: she's got somebody up in the air. She's got you can't a Wolverine. Tell me. Somebody else is coming. Yeah, it doesn't matter.
1: Forge goes back to the Nam, and uh, so the whole thing is like an arc light was supposed to come by and like bomb this valley, uh, and they were supposed to run somewhere to get protection, but they were late, and everybody was killed, except for Forge.
0: We paid the price.
1: Yep. So then we go back to the alley, and Klausus is like, Never been stabbed before. Shouldn't it hurt? <laughs> I feel like he's going back and forth now. <laughs> um, and he's like, he's like, "What's happening to me?" And then we see kind of like, I didn't realize this at first until the next page where uh, Banshee or no uh, Forge says, "Saw an energy flash as the boy got up." So the fifth panel, he's kind of shrouded in orange. Although one could just say that that was a colorist's choice. Uh, but anyways, this is the moment where he reverts from mask colossus to actual colossus,
0: yeah, I figured that out um I also thought he the way that the panels are drawn it seems like he gets bigger, which I guess he doesn't
1: it i who knows i you could look at it a couple of different ways uh it is him standing up, so he's on his he's on his ass, then he's kneeling and then he's crouching um but I think you could also. Figuratively, look at it as hit the growth in his power, the growth growth in his uh, physical stature.
0: As he stands up, he knocks Beast and Cyclops and somebody else up, and then there is a big flash behind him. So I don't know mm, that, that could, could also be, be the Flash.
1: I guess I don't know, although, but
0: it, I, I still don't know what the Flash like is.
1: Well, the Flash, I think, is him like turning from flesh and blood into steel.
0: So it's like a siege perilous sort of thing. He's he's returning back to the old Colossus, and the Flash comes with that.
1: I think that it doesn't have anything to do with the siege perilous. I think it's just um, he, when he was stabbed, his well, they even we get the exposition dump at the end. His body knows what's going on, his mind doesn't. So his body reacted to protect itself by turning himself into Colossus. So, his mutant power has always been there. He just doesn't know that it exists, nor does he know how to control it, I think.
0: He makes easy work of uh, the Masks Morlocks because they don't realize that he is actually Colossus and they still think it's just they're about to get pummeled by flesh, but they get pummeled by steel. Um, Forge has more of his flashback where you see him casting his spell. And all of the souls leaving the bodies of his buddies.
1: This is like somebody, Bill Jask, is like, I want to redraw that panel that, uh, that uh, um Sylvester and Green did. <laughs> Just not as good. Is it? Is it? I, I don't know. It's, it's not like. Very similar? It's similar, yeah. Where he's up on the little the butt there holding up all of the, uh, I think he's holding up all the dog tags and then casting a spell. And then you see all the energy evaporating from their eyes this is very similar to some panels and whatever issue that was
0: wouldn't it be funny if bill Jaska thought throughout this issue that he was drawing the x-men but he really other than their faces he really didn't know how to draw them so like chris claremont had to write in that they were morlocks <laughs> yes it's a totally different issue yeah yeah. Somebody should take all of the dialogue away and make this like a straight-up X-Men issue where it's just totally normal that their bodies are all weird. Nightcrawler's unconscious.
1: Well, it's a little weird there because you got a Cyclops top with like a weird alien bottom, but you can still put some dialogue in there of like, Colossus, look out!
0: Well, Bill Jessica really doesn't know how to draw Cyclops, oh. and he's super lazy. Sure, sure. He's just like, all right, I drew the head. I'll just draw like whatever.
1: So now Forge is back in the alley and he's like, I'm older. I found better ways. And so he throws something up in the air.
0: It's like a little marble that he calls the Pathfinder and it leads it has a little uh, star path. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody escapes. Forge goes last. He throws, I don't know, a smoke bomb at somebody. Does he? I, I He throws something at the ground, which poofs oh yeah he says i'll cover you i'm assuming it's like a smoke bomb and they're escaping like batman in the night (laughs) yes it's not doesn't really pay
1: off um (laughs) and i don't know if he's just like continually throwing this star ball or if the star ball is just like flying around but ultimately mask ends up with it kind of like tossing it up in the air and he's like my game indian and i don't play to lose."
0: This was what I needed in the Nam. The spirit spell was knowledge left in trust, never really meant to be used. But I didn't know better, and even now, there are sometimes I still find myself sorely tempted. I have no idea what any of that means. I think
1: that, like, to get out of this situation, I could cast that same spell to take Mask and his mutants' lives away. Lives away, which could sure. potentially
0: open up like evil portals or something. I don't know. I'm I'm fine with whatever you want to interpret it as, because no matter how many times I go back and reread a lot of this stuff, I'm just like, I just can't focus on it. There's something about it that I just can't focus on what I'm reading, and uh, I don't know what it is.
1: It's okay, because um, at the end, they will tell you everything you need to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: it, it's as if this issue didn't need to exist as much as just, like, two paragraphs of exposition and, like,
0: 24 blank pages. Forge punches Storm's tongue's head. <laughs> yep, that's fun. Uh,
1: and then Colossus shows up, grabs Mask, slams him against the wall, and he's like, You got to fix all this. And uh, Mask is like, No, or maybe I'll fix everything, but you got to let me live. Uh, and then he's like, Bouncer, teleport the fools out of here. And everybody gets teleported away yeah uh so this whole page is kind of like a back and forth of you could kill me, but then you'd be stuck, so if you let me live, well, then I'll change back. uh, just teleport him away
0: it's It's all about who has the upper hand, and eventually mask realizes he doesn't have the upper hand and so he teleports everybody else away, which is weird. You'd think he'd teleport himself away, but whatever.
1: And then he's like, uh, throw them back where they belong. They'll see, they'll learn in no time at all. They'll come crawling to me for mercy. Now he's sitting on, is he's sitting down on the ground, kind of defeated looking. And it's in that small text that's like defeated text. But he doesn't know what's about to happen. In his mind, what he saw was a mouthless banshee who's going to die of suffocation. Well, he's got
0: a nose, so he'll be all right.
1: He can't drink or eat food, so he's going to die in three days because unless Moira McTaggart gives him an IV of water, which I guess is possible. Yeah,
0: you, you, could, you, could, you could even give like a food tube. Sure, sort sure. Of. Okay. So he she could live.
1: Uh, and then Gene's going to have tentacles. And that's that's what he's seeing is that even though he's lost, he's won is what I would think. Yeah. is what he saw. I agree. But on the next page in Peter Nicholas' Soho loft, question is, did they get teleported to the mansion? Did they get teleported to the loft?
0: We don't know. They got teleported back to the loft, I'm going to say, because that's where they are. (laughs) And somebody decided
1: not to draw Peter Nicholas or Callisto in these last couple of pages because it's nothing but dialogue between Gene and Banshee where... They're like, oh, it's so good that Banshee injected us with those things a couple of issues ago. What he was really doing was taking cell samples so he could reconstruct us if he needed to.
0: That covers us. What about (laughs) Peter?
1: (laughs) He literally says that. (laughs) Like, well, that wraps that up. So what's the deal with Peter? Well, his mind knows what, or his body knows what's going on, but his mind doesn't. So that wraps that up.
0: I think... Bill Jaska got bored of drawing the tentacles (laughs) and he didn't tell Chris Claremont he was going to do this. He just started drawing Jean with arms. And Chris was like, wait, what?
1: (laughs) You think Chris was like going to give it back to Louise? I'm like, hell she's got, she's got tentacles. Now you're going to have to deal with that for a while. Yeah, sure. I would have loved it, but, but no, she's everybody's back to, to where they were. Just Um, because
0: Bill Jaska got tired of drawing it.
1: (laughs) I mean, I guess the only thing that's a little bit, bit different is that uh while colossus can turn into colossus he doesn't know that he's peter rasputin or have those memories
0: right so he's nothing nothing has really changed ultimately
1: and then Forge is on the roof uh he's in his native american garb and uh he's like i did it guys i brought them all back and i i didn't have to use magic
0: we can we can put this down we can we can wrap this chapter and not come back to it ever again.
1: And then in the clouds, you see like all of his Nam buddies, all like arm in arm and happy and everything. And you know, from from a cinematic perspective, this would be a great way to end like a trilogy of movies in which your hero goes through the things that Forge has gone through. But we as X Men readers are like, ah, okay, I I remember this.
0: So this should have been Life Death Three.
1: Oh my gosh. That could have been very interesting to do the whole, like, the whole Forge story, from when he was in, from his meetings and uh, life growing up with Naze, uh going off to the war, doing this whole thing, everything that happened in between, like, him coming back and uh, stealing, stealing Storm's powers, and then this is the final chapter. That could have been good.
0: As long as it was uh, not written the way that it was written in this issue, because, man, this, this was tough.
1: Uh, and not... Not in the pages of the X-Men. Like, make it the Forge graphic novel, Life, Death, 3.
0: Life Death get behind that.
1: Yeah. And you don't have to read it if you don't want to, um, but you give it to, you know, Chris Claremont, we need you on your uh, God Loves, Man, Kills game. We're going to get you a really good artist. Want 64 pages? You could write a really good Forge story, I think, covering everything that we just talked about that's kind of laid out in these pages. But I feel like we just don't know Forge enough to really care about all of this and i don't think it really pays off like it's not like uh you know for the last 20 issues he's not wanted to be an x-man or follow his uh vision because he's he's held back by what happened to his brothers in vietnam
0: you know what it is for me is that up until this point and i think even after this point forge has not been a main character he's been a supplemental character and to give a supplemental character a major story arc, just seems confusing, because you don't you don't know Forge. I feel like you never really get to know Forge enough that he deserves his own story.
1: Well, I also think um, we just haven't been building up enough character background for the casual reader or even, you know, the more in-depth reader to really care all that much.
0: Well, that's the thing. I think Forge is a, a good character and I mm-hmm. think you could make him a character that becomes a main character. I just feel like they haven't they haven't done it yet and they're dropping this Vietnam backstory on a, in, a, in a way that doesn't really make him any more uh, main character I don't, I don't know.
1: Well, and it doesn't really add anything. Like, I guess it, it kind of worked for... From an arc perspective, in um, Fall of the Mutants, I mean, yeah,
0: definitely worked better there than here. Yeah.
1: So, a- anyways, this was uh, not a great issue. No. <laughs> yeah. So with that, we'll just turn our attention to uh, <clears throat> Lewis Patzner.
0: Uh, he writes us from the I past. Don't where, I don't know where this came from. Hi, Adam and Jeremy. In a recent episode, you asked for ideas about what content people would pay for. Oh, he's a Patreon uh, member. Thank you. Uh, and I have some ideas. I understand why doing episodes on the current X-Men issues is a good idea, but I personally don't care about them. I'm only in year 1999. One idea I have to do I have is to do episodes on the animated series, or better yet, the X-Men Adventures comics, which were adaptations of the show. We did discuss the X-Men Adventures comics, I think. Um,
1: We did. Um, Are those exclusively adaptations, or does it go on beyond the animated series?
0: That's a good question. I know I only have the first issue, so I know that was a direct adaptation, but I think it was a morph story.
1: I think I also have that first issue, and I think the art was bad, and I didn't
0: ever (laughs) buy another issue. Well, it was like the equivalent of like a Star Comics type thing. So it was was very kid-friendly. Yeah. Uh, he continues, another idea is to do in-depth episodes of one of the side books, like X-Factor or Xcalibur. but the one I personally want is X-Force. I will double my ple- Patreon pledge if you do this. X-Force is the comic I read as a kid, and after reading all the X-Books as an adult, I think it's the most consistently enjoyable. Plus, it has my favorite character, Shatterstar. Don't you want to join the club and ride... Rob Liefeld's Coat Teals to Financial Prosperity. I think Rob Liefeld was only there for like six or seven issues. <laughs> or you could do X-Men 2099. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, another idea is to do episodes on famous runs like the Joss Reedon one. Hope this is nutritious food for thought. Thanks for your work on the podcast, Lewis. Uh, so we'll do X-Factor or X-Force. We're, we're we're getting around to that point. We'll do it in full episodes if there's enough demand and enough Patreon pledges. So Lewis, gather up all of your peeps and uh and all of the fans and get everybody to contribute. And if we get enough, if we get enough push for it, yeah, we'll do whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, spoken like a true artist. <laughs> well, we'll do whatever.
0: Money talks, podcasts just do what we're told.
1: Throw a couple bucks in front of our uh in our hat, we'll do whatever you want. I uh
0: <clears throat> I read those X-Force issues up until about where Rob Liefeld left and then um strangely enough, I just picked up the epic collection of the first X-Force volume on a whim uh recently and uh and I think it covers most of the the Rob Liefeld stuff, and and a little bit beyond, and I think it stops at the last issue that I actually bought, but beyond that, I have no idea what X-Force is about. I remember there was some sort of weird stuff where uh, Cannonball was an immortal, which I always thought was sort of silly, but I didn't follow it through, so I don't know. Maybe it turns out to be the most awesome thing ever.
1: I don't remember anything from X-Force. I bought them all because I bought all of the things from the 90s, Um, and then when Rob Liefeld left the book, I stopped reading, so... There you go. I do remember there was the Sideways issue, the the Spider-Man X Force crossover. Um, I don't remember what was in the issue, but I do remember that the covers connected, which was which was neat. Um, Yeah. So the good ideas all around. Um, I I feel like um, I love Joss Whedon's run. In fact, I was just thumbing through it the other day. Uh, I could probably sit down and just read that, like you know, over over a a Saturday or Sunday, rainy day just going to burn through it because it is such a fun ride um i don't really feel like and you can tell me if i'm wrong adam i don't feel like that fits into like a direct continuity but i could be wrong
0: good question i think continuity came out of it but it may not have necessarily like it definitely it definitely takes everything that came before it But I don't think it exists at a specific time.
1: Right. I guess what I mean, loose continuity is what I mean. There's definitely, it takes place after the events of a lot of new X-Men and definitely takes place before the events that happen after it because it does build up a lot of lore. Uh, But I feel like, you know, even me who had been out of comics for so long picked it up and was immediately like, I know exactly what's happening. There's a bunch more mutants that I'm not familiar with, but I still know exactly what's happening. Yeah. Which was cool, but it was also, I think, Joss Whedon just grabbed on to, like, here's stuff you remember, and we're going to build on these ideas, which was cool, uh, and he did it really well. Uh, but I think the better fodder for um, Patreon would definitely be something like an X-Men 2099. I've never read any of those. Uh,
0: yeah, that, that that's a really good idea.
1: Uh, or, or X-Men Adventures is, is also another possibility as well
0: we might have to really consider the X-Men 2099. We we've had some ideas that we're going to we're going to cover, but uh
1: I think for now, you know, we're we're doing all we can and and you know, with the with the whole pandemic thing, it just doesn't feel quite right to be, you know. We we thank the people that have have contributed to the Patreon, but most folks will notice that everything's kind of been opened up to the public. Uh just just cuz, you know, a lot of other stuff going on here's a little yeah. thing <laughs> you know maybe maybe one day you know in 2024 when there's a <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a, a vaccine and, and everybody's healthy and you know all the other things that are going on in the world are are you know smoothed out maybe then we you know put 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 them behind a paywall but but until then you know we'll, we'll do our part yeah um yeah so from the website um M. Smitty twenty seven says, Hey guys, always enjoy the pod. The movie Star Eighty, nineteen eighty three, was an inspiration for issue one sixty. Uh 160? Oh, that must have been the Dazzler.
0: Yeah, the Star 90 was the title of that one.
1: Yeah, but that but issue number one sixty must have been the introduction of Dazzler.
0: Oh. I don't know. Or does oh, is yeah, this oh, a typo maybe he meant three sixty.
1: Three sixty. Oh, episode three sixty? Or two sixty. Oh, now i got to look this up. Issue 260. Oh, yeah. X-Men number 160 is when uh, Belasco kidnaps Ilyana, so he means 260. Yeah. Uh, it's the story of Dorothy Stratton. Eric Roberts plays the obsessed uh, cokehead character. It's a true story with some horrible dark stuff. I've never seen it.
0: And uh, somebody on Twitter, astronaut Mike Desker, Dexter, uh, who is at well i guess i shouldn't really say what he's at uh he sends us to the wikipedia of the same movie
1: yeah and i feel like guy his his tweet is more like guys do a little research (laughs) (laughs) like just here uh yeah i see the cover
0: directed by bob fossey oh that's interesting Hmm. i'd like to see this movie i mean sure I don't know if I would like it or not. Oh, there's also a Jamie Lee Curtis version of the same story called Death of a Centerfold.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Close Jave Egg Xavier says, Wow, high high praise from both Adam and Jeremy. See, I told you the era of the X-Men was, is surprisingly fantastic. Don't rush through it. Savor this run for all it's worth. Eh. (laughs) These past two issues have been, Eh. Claremont will be gone in a mere 19 issues. Well, that is a a sad, sad thought. Thoughts on 260. Mild spoiler. Ooh. Speaking of departures, this turns out to be Dazzler's swan song with the X-Men. Oh, I forgot about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did too. Otherwise, obviously, we would have mentioned it.
1: Yeah. She briefly shows up again in a few years, but otherwise doesn't have any more appearances until the mid-2000s. Hopefully, this news doesn't ruin your day. As a Dazzler fan, it kind of hits me in the feels. I got to be honest, my, uh, I like the Dazzler from the teens, the two teens, if you will, 217, 218, her paddle with Juggernaut, that was where she became a character for me. Any other time, she was not a character, I guess. I mean, she obviously has existed in X-Men for a while. We read all of those Dazzler issues, and, and while they tried to do things with her, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what she had grown into, feel like, Chris Claremont's been kind of writing her out of the series anyways.
0: I I knew this was true that she, she disappears at some point. And uh, I guess I just kind of, it's just, it's just kind of weird that she just, you you don't think because, because of the fact that Banshee and uh, Forge pull up that newspaper and they're like, Oh, we better go talk to Dazzler. Right. You think like, Oh, well, she's a part of this plot that's going on. So when, when that ended, I didn't, I I didn't realize. I was like, oh, that's it. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah. So I wonder, and maybe maybe we will see the moment where they come and they're like, Dazzler, the X-Men. She's like, no, I'm a movie star. <laughs> I don't, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. I don't remember if any of that happens, but uh, that's interesting. Um, In the future, there will be a run where Jean Grey unites a bunch of people. And one of them is Dazzler and they do a thing. I don't remember what the thing is. And she's like, "You're all welcome as X-Men," and they all leave, including Dazzler, who's like, "This was fun, but I'm out." <laughs> um, it's one of those—I I, don't—mid-two-thousand issues. It could could be even what close Javik Xavier is talking about, but I have it in one of my trade papers, trade trade paperbacks. Uh, and as they were going through the story, I was like, "Oh, they're going to bring Dazzler back into the team," because at that point, the team was made up of a whole bunch of people I didn't know and Jean had like recruited I think some people that were familiar to me but then they all left Mm. and it's possible uh, when we get there I don't know we'll stick a pin in it but I feel like it's gonna be five years from now I feel like immediately after that so it might have been in X-Men not Uncanny X-Men I feel like it goes to like new X-Men or like uh, creative team changes which Mm. because as they're kind of ushered out of the comic it felt like I feel like they were building towards something and then just gave up
0: was uh, was Desler in Grant Morrison's Days of Future Future two-parter? Never read it. Okay.
1: Also, as I reread along with the podcast, I really wish we could have gotten a Forge and Banshee series, like in the style of a buddy cop action comedy. I'm imagining a comic book a version of Simon and Simon or Starsky and Hutch cross with Quantum Leap, have them solve crimes in each of the cities they visit while still searching for clues that will get them one step closer to finding the missing X-Men. That would have kicked ass. These two characters are a great pairing. Um, I agree. I think a four-part mini series doing more or less exactly what he talks about. I don't know about the quantum leap part because we already have the cross-time conundrum
0: happening, which is terrible, but... um. Well, maybe quantum leap in the sense that, you know, it's sort of a a one-and-dones thing where they they interact with something specific, like George Lucas, the race car driver, and uh, they resolve that, and then they move on to another sort of thing while still staying on their continuing search for the X-Men. Sure.
1: I'd have been down with that.
0: It'd be like Mutant Leap.
1: <laughs> so they're not traveling through time or through personalities. They're just like solving solving mysteries as they're looking around for Dazzler and Wolverine and Colossus and yeah. Psylocke and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, that would have been great.
0: Maybe you can throw in time travel in like one, issue, issue three.
1: So it, Forge is probably the straight man and Banshee's... Probably the wise sort of sarcastic one.
0: Well, in a couple of issues ago, we had uh, Banshee was kind of the bumbling fool. Yeah. Who like fell, fell and was like, oh, I don't have a flashlight. Turn oh, on the blasted flashlight. Sure. So he's kind of the jokey one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. That would have been great. Uh, it's not too late. Somebody could decide to, you know,
0: write it. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can just put in comics, insert here. This took place in between issues, whatever and whatever.
1: At Kyle number, he's telling us something here, Adam, and I don't understand it because it's all in Twitter ease.
0: <laughs> so it's FYI, you're a bit behind schedule. Um, and if you click the link, you'll be able to hear the fascinating details of Onslaught and what we think of it in about, what, seven years? Uh, let's see. Let's So 2020. Look for it in 2020. 2020, everybody. <laughs> Onslaught, as told by Adam and Jeremy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like we quite made it to Onslaught. Yet. I blame you, Adam. You you're the one that did the math that said onslaught was going to be in 2020. You said 7 years. I was just doing the math. Oh. <laughs> the math was accurate. Ah. Uh, huh. Well, I'm going to I'm going to throw out a new projection. Okay. Uh,
0: I don't even know when onslaught occurs. Uh so onslaught 2024? Oh, well, I was going to say 2023, but sure, 2024 is good. Maybe we started in 2023, we finish it in 2024.
1: Onslaught, if I recall, has really terrible artwork.
0: It is very uh, '90s artwork. It's, it's, it's when I feel like there was a momentum to make everything sort of Americanized anime. Oh, yes, super pointy and sharp. Um,
1: Did they do the same thing for Executioner's Song as well? I don't think that
0: maybe the covers it seems like maybe i
1: feel like the covers had that anime look but i might be confusing the two
0: yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of periods where anime tries to sneak its way or not anime manga tries to kind of sneak its way into the art of uh comics with varying success i can't i think in runaways was probably a good example of where it worked but that was because it was probably a new property
1: uh, Andrew Wordna,
0: um, at mighty evil doom. Dude, so here, I got a question for you before you go to this. Are we like, uh, and this is, this is to the world who understands Twitter. Is it okay to read your at names or does that like, is that like doxing you? I don't know.
1: I, I don't, I think, I, I think that's the whole point of Twitter is you want everybody to know oh, your, okay. your, your Twitter name. Cause then people can like find you and then retweet you and, and dm you
0: okay i don't know I, okay. <laughs> I don't i still don't know what dming is but uh, i hear it all the time dm so. is
1: a direct message i at least i understand know that, that. Okay. i just
0: don't i don't know how it works oh like i get I, like people are always like oh, i got dm'd and i'm like cool
1: i don't know that it would be a negative thing
0: i i i it's a good yeah i don't i don't know i've never as far as i know i've never been dm'd so
1: okay well mike oh sorry uh now now you got me all flustered. Uh, <laughs> Andrew says, I really love this period. Reading these issues in the mid-1990s was such a contrast to then-current X-Books. I'm glad Dazzler gets a proper send-off, unlike Longshot. Truth?
0: Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out what happens with Longshot. He doesn't come back in the Jim Lee run.
1: What I do remember, and we've talked about this before, is that we get that things-to-come um uh, mm-hmm uh what do you what do you call it um collage that's got all your favorites nimrod and long shots there and and you're like oh my god jim lee's gonna give us everything we've been looking for and
0: then he's gone i bet he comes back in that shatter shot limited series
1: oh it wasn't that through the annuals yeah yeah maybe
0: i don't know why i remember that
1: (laughs) mike wilkinson he says hey adam and jeremy i just wanted to uh, write you a quick note to say that I recently discovered the podcast. I'm having a ball catching up. My X-Men love started in the Claremont era. It dawned on me that I've read several of the earlier issues, but it took strength that I just didn't possess. Tough reads, LOL. I decided I'd look up a podcast that did the dirty deed for me, and I could join in the fun. You guys really n- nailed it. Thanks. I can't wait to catch up. Well, greetings from the future in the past.
0: Your past. No, you're your... We're the, our your future our past
1: we're talking to him in his present from our from his future but our past right oh my god <laughs> i feel like something was incepted <laughs> <laughs> um yes i am so happy that we don't have to read those old issues again There, there was a stretch of time where i was like i don't know if i can do it <laughs> Got real rough there. Should um, we
0: start over? Is no, that what you're saying? Yeah,
1: let's do it again and see if we can uh, correct all the mistakes we made.
0: The one part that I definitely didn't make it through is, you recall, is the when when John Byrne did his like inserting into the hidden years thing. I couldn't even. I hated those.
1: I read the whole series and we covered it I, in yeah. like ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were. I was impressed. They, they were. Neat. they weren't they weren't they were needless I hated them
0: <laughs> I couldn't even read them I'm, I think I read three and I was like I'm out I can't do it
1: I liked the art it's John Byrne art um
0: oh the uh, art art's fantastic but
1: I feel like yeah. I feel like he moved the stories along but they were unnecessary
0: they Redcon storm back into the early X-Men yeah,
1: yeah 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 but you got more more stories with um Blob and Toad and Eunice
0: and yeah, I didn't make it that far.
1: That was fun. Well, anyways, um, got more to read. but Oh, heck yeah. But first, if you'd like to drop us a note, you can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, twitter us at Danger Room Go. You can email us, uh, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or anywhere podcasts are available to subscribe to us, leave us some feedback, some stars, uh, or go out to the aforementioned www.patreon.com forward slash Danger Room, where we do have the current Dawn of X run, uh, as well as some other goodies uh, for you to check out. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Indeed. And with that, um, I, read, uh, I read Excalibur.
0: It was a pretty decent issue of Excalibur, number 24.
1: Yeah, so... I want to give you the Cliff's notes, and then we can go okay. back and talk about some of the things that happened in it because ultimately while, so Alan Davis is back, right? So mm-hmm. all, right away you're like, all right, finally, you know, I can.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> well, he can, was back last as you too, but it didn't help because the issue was so convoluted.
1: I think Alan Davis had a lot of stuff to undo and it really felt like in reading this, he's like, I don't want this to be happening anymore because <laughs> this is the end of the cross time caper i think
0: yes it is okay this is the, this is the last issue although the next issue says still not the cross time caper yeah. as a joke
1: ah i see so the thing that i'm not so so what happens is x factor or sorry x minus kitty are in a different dimension and they bump into Saturnine and Saturnine says boy you guys have made a mess of time space and i'm going to have to fix it i'm going to have to send you back but i hate phoenix what happens <laughs> next uh she like disappears like you got to get rid of phoenix and then i'll send you back or something like that
0: a bunch of nonsense uh they disguise kitty uh, phoenix as kitty pride Well forget so that... about
1: all that cuz we can talk about that in a minute i'm just what is her ultimatum here cuz she's like I can send you guys back, but I don't like Phoenix and then she like disappears. So I couldn't I couldn't make out like was she giving them like make up make a decision and then I'll send you back? Cuz it's just it's not clear because then they do go through a whole bunch of shenanigans uh to try to trick Saturnine into sending Phoenix back. Uh, and ultimately Excalibur does make it back. Spoilers, they do make it back to the lighthouse uh and Galactus is waiting for them, which that's interesting. Uh, And that's the story in a nutshell. But yes, while they go through a bunch of shenanigans to disguise Phoenix as Kitty, and there's like this weird kind of Alice in Wonderland, like, uh, immigration inspector who's asking them about their clothes. Is this all Saturnine's like, I'm going to send you back, but you guys have to immigrate first? It's, It's just not clear. Like, I don't know what's happening here.
0: So I don't know either. I, what I think is happening uh, is that Saturnine, the, w- on the other side of the, um, in our universe, Courtney Ross is uh, taking Kitty out on a birthday.
1: Ah, it's Ki- It's important. Kitty's, it's Kitty's 15th birthday. She joined yes. the X-Men when she was 13,
0: so two years have passed. Which is insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a crazy two years. Which she even talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe what's happening is that Saturnine, as we know is Courtney Ross. Right. So she has to leave temporarily to go deal oh. with Kitty Pride. So she's like when I get back got gotcha. deal with you.
1: When I get back we'll deal with Phoenix or the Phoenix problem. Yeah, it even says so much here of like uh Opal Opal Luna Saturnine is the Omniversal Mastrex whatever that is. Courtney Ross senior vice president of Fraser Bank two women as unlike each other as the worlds they inhabit yet In all the ways that matter, they are one in the same. And for some reason, maybe you know why, Adam, uh, Courtney Ross is spoiling Kitty by flying her to Paris, uh, setting up a situation where she can dance to jazz music on a boat with a cute boy all night long, and then ultimately giving her or or lending her the permanent use of an extra uh, Jaguar car.
0: I couldn't tell you why. I, I was I was wondering that myself. I'm assuming that's something we'll find out. Um, why is she spoiling Kitty Pride? Does she just like her? I, yeah, I mean, it. The issue seems to be kind of written
1: as if there are no ulterior motives. Like, whenever they cut away to Courtney, she's always just like smiling, like, look how much fun she's having. Not like now she's falling into my trap right um so seems sincere there's a funny bit here uh that i feel like only alan davis could could um make work where they're sitting at a table and the waiter comes up and he's like would you like some wine and kitty's like oh my gosh i know all sorts of things about computers but i don't know anything about wine uh champagne and the waiter's like what kind would you like and uh uh Courtney Ross kind of, like, flicks her earring a little bit. And Kitty's like, earring, diamond, pendant. And then she <laughs> says, do you think she says crystal or cristal?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I was wondering that myself.
1: But anyways, uh, he's like, oh, an excellent choice, mademoiselle. I'll get some from the cellar. I don't know why she can't just be like, may I see a list, please? <laughs> like, even the fanciest of restaurants have a very elegant list of their wines and champagnes. I guess maybe if she's 15, she's got no idea how this works.
0: So I I read that and I didn't realize that uh, Courtney Ross is tipping her off on what to say. I just thought it was two panels of her, like kind of impishly waiting for her to do it herself. But now that now that you pointed that out, it is kind of clever that she kind of she fingers the glass, the rim of the champagne glass, Mm -hmm. and then she does touch the earring. And uh, great casting of Dr. Phil as the, uh, as the creator.
1: <laughs> yeah, so really well-executed series of panels. And she is kind of giving her the look of, like, tonight's your night. You make the call. Figure it out. Dropping some clues along the way. But she's not going to take the reins and be like, this is my friend, and she wants champagne.
0: Right. On the previous page, we get we get the stand-in. I'm assuming for Alan, or maybe it's for John Byrne because he has a B on his chest. I I couldn't
1: tell. So it's a guy wearing a Superman costume that seems to have a B where the Superman shield is.
0: I think it's John Byrne. It's got a dig at John Byrne because I believe John Byrne oh. is writing and drawing Superman right now.
1: Oh, that could be. He says, um,
0: the the the, the guy that you were talking about, the uh, Alice in Wonderland guy. Says there's discrepancies with the Kitty Pride character, yeah, uh, as as, as the, then against the way that he draws it, and the uh, the Super Burn character flips out, Say, so "Are you saying I got it wrong? I don't know what John Byrne looks like. I think that's what he looks like, but I mean, I think all comic book people look like that. That could also be Chris Claremont to me.
1: So when I looked at this, I was like, oh, it looks looks like Chris Claremont, but he's he's drawing, and so I was like, well, I don't think that this is what Alan Davis looks like but I guess I don't know what Alan Davis looks like
0: I just assume they all look the same (laughs) I mean yeah uh, yeah, if you put in John Byrne into Wikipedia he's a little bit older now but he looks kind of like this
1: sure so it's probably a definite parody of of John Byrne of John Byrne and so anyway and he gets all mad he's like do you know how many or it's so hard to keep track of everybody they're always changing and Super Byrne punches the immigration inspector and they get into a very comical tussle. A lot of comical things happen here. There's a fencing duel between Nightcrawler and a guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ultimately, um, he gets knocked out, maybe, and uh, uh, Megan shows up looking just like Nightcrawler, but now she's got the um, foils, and they have a... A little duel, and ultimately Megan wins, but it's all because Nightcrawler was playing Possum, and uh, Megan was able to—I don't know what Megan was able to do.
0: <laughs> win. <laughs> win. She was able to win. She. She was a better duelist.
1: There's a part in here where Captain Britain's fighting a big, strong person, and then Megan shows up, and she's huge and muscular, and she's like, "Pick on someone your own size," and, and punches her far away. And then it feels like, I guess. Alan Davis and or Chris Claremont's like well we've burned enough pages and uh, uh, Saturn is like alright Excalibur come here I need to talk to you
0: and she obviously knows that uh, Rachel is dressed up as Kitty but she lets them go anyway and she has fixed Widget so that it go- it will take them back to their universe's lighthouse and as you pointed out uh, mentioned Galactus is at the lighthouse which they don't realize yet and you know, that's always a bad sign. Yeah. Galactus shows up. You know it means something.
1: At last Excalibur, we're home. We're safe. But there's Galactus. Uh the next issue is in two weeks, so I'm sure it won't be drawn by Alan Davis. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh so yeah, I don't I don't know the Courtney Ross thing here. Maybe she's she's uh you know, getting Her hook's into Kinney so that she can lay a trap for Captain Britain because they have a previous relationship. Or maybe they're just buds. Or they're buds, but it's comics. They don't work that way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, X-Factor number 56 was
0: a mess. It wasn't. Yes, it was. (laughs) But it uh, wasn't as bad as it could have been. Let me put it that way. It's it's pretty straightforward. Like the plot is that there's this group called the Ravens and they uh They're vampires. met one of them we met we met Crimson a couple of issues ago when she tried to absorb the uh terrible emotions of Beast but it turned out Beast was an okay guy so she didn't have anything but she discovered mutants and at that same issue she saw a night, uh Archangel flying overhead And uh, so she it turns out there's a whole bunch of people just like her, and they're called the Ravens. And she communicates with some of them that she's going to go after Archangel. And by the end of the issue, she doesn't absorb Archangel, but she brings all of the Ravens together, and one of them is beheaded by Archangel. And that's pretty much it. So it's a mess, but it's inside of the mess is a very simple plot.
1: There's a little bit of drama in the issue in which – there's like a drive by shooting and Archangel shows up and they're all commenting of like Archangel's out of control, but he's still being a good guy, even though his methods are excessive and Trish Tilby and her cameraman capture uh, Archangel doing some vigilante stuff, including shredding up a car and doing a bunch of property damage. And they're like, "Wow, well, what are we going to do? Guess we got to roll it. And so beast watches this and he's like, what's Trish doing? And he gets all sensitive and, uh even even members of X Factor are like, why is he being so like uh hypersensitive about this whole thing? This isn't like Beast, and I don't know if it's like they're they're just uh architecting the downfall of Beast and Trish Tilby, or if this is building to another Beast storyline in which he's not using his intellect, he's using his emotions, or if this is just a one-shot and it does, nothing matters. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jean shows back up. She's wearing sexy X-Men uniform, and, and Scott's like, you're not going to join them, are you? <laughs> and she's like, what, the X-Men? No, we're a team.
0: So uh, communication problem here. Uh, well, Jean... he doesn't
1: say "Are you, you're not going to join them, but
0: that's well, what I mean. I mean with the creative teams, because cause Jean is wearing her X-Men uniform, but the arms are there. Um...
1: It's fair to say that Forge or Banshee packed a bunch of uniforms.
0: <laughs> But by the end of this issue, she changes back into her Marvel Girl outfit. And when we next see her in the pages of X-Men, which I believe will be the next issue, she is again wearing the X-Men uniform that she has uh, on now, just without the arms. Sure.
1: (laughs) Well, these guest pencilers and colorists and inkers definitely are not talking to one another. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's also something going on here with the ravens is that what they're called where I guess if the more of them that get killed the weaker they become as a group except Crystal's like oh if I can kill them all then I get all the power
0: it seems like once all of them or once one of them gets killed they all start to get weak unless they can kill the person that unless they make the person that killed Mm. one of them another raven and then they go back to their there needs to be 24 of them or something like that um but she crimson has some sort of plot up in mind where she will be able to be the, the, the one.
1: There's also something going on with a cop here. Who's like, Oh, you're archangel. And, uh, the Raven person, it's just before dawn. She's flying around with angels. She's getting ready to absorb like the last of his psychic energy. And the cops like freeze. And it's just enough time for the sun to come out. And when the sun comes out, she disappears. Angel's able to kind of get, control of his senses to a degree but he's still like keep away from me i'm dangerous uh and then the raven person i guess prior to all that was like "Ooh, you're special i'll be back for you so there's something up with this cop
0: this is the most understanding cop of all time yeah because angel like throws his knives at her and she's like she clearly he clearly didn't mean to hurt me even though he threw his terrifying knives at me
1: (laughs) yeah he threatens lawyers like or no he doesn't threaten lawyers he says Uh, The fortunes of an empire are at my disposal. I'm adamant on this point. My lawyers will talk to your lawyers. So we know that I think Angel is bankrupt and has no money. So something's maybe going on internally where, because even she's like, what's he talking about?
0: He is crazy, but I still love him.
1: that's X-Factor number 56. You're right, it's a fairly straightforward issue, but the art is not great.
0: Speaking of not great art, Uh, Wolverine number 26 is uh, not good at all. I didn't read it, so uh, why don't you... Uh, Well, you didn't miss anything. Catch us up while I find it quick and take a look at this artwork you say is so bad. So uh, we get a little of the backstory of before uh, Logan got his adamantium in that it's not really any backstory that matters, but at some point he went and meditated with a guy that helped him heal his soul a little bit, and that guy recently got murdered. So he's going on a revenge spree in order to kill the people that uh, killed the the guy that he really respected and helped him out in this time. Um, there are some panels in this that I do like. It's just overall, I don't like this style for Wolverine.
1: It's Klaus Janssen, who we've talked about before. I think I'm on record as saying I'm not a Klaus Janssen fan. I think you've defended him to be like, well, he's got his own style, but... This is not the Klaus Janssen I know from previous
0: X-Men. Uh, this doesn't work for me, except in, in, there's a couple of panels that I think are really well done, and I can't really call any of them out because I don't have page numbers on this thing. But uh, at the end of the thing, it turns out that the guy whose name is Bando or something like that, his, uh, I think his nephew is the one who kills him. So Wolverine... Goes, and uh, does he kill him? Yeah, it looks like he kills him. I thought he knocked him out a window, but that must be a different issue. Um, And that's it. Then we get a terrible McFarlane uh, drawing of Wolverine at the the end of it. I
1: was going to say, that's not it, Adam. There's a McFarlane pinup.
0: Uh, Which I'm assuming that Wolverine has blood on his claws, but both the location and the coloring makes it look like he's just, I mean... There, there's goo or something it's
1: to me wing. this Why is felt so big <laughs> this is certainly better than than i could do i'll i'll, I'll put that out there number <laughs> okay, one but yeah, that's fair it to me looks like 15 year old todd mcfarlane is like ooh, i'm gonna draw this brooding wolverine or or however old mcfarlane was after he saw uh Tim Burton's Batman was like I want brooding Batman up on the rooftops kind of looking down like like sad at all the violence that's happening and yet his claw
0: is covered in blood because of the sizes of the chimneys it looks like Wolverine is a giant and I
1: think it's not supposed it it feels like a sketch or or a like a cover like I don't think this is supposed to be giant Wolverine or if it is, then somebody then like Todd McFarlane didn't learn anything about scale.
0: Yeah, well we I, I think that's somewhat true.
1: No, but this is like ridiculous this is like like there's a toy chimney in front of Wolverine. <laughs> he's like he's like uh in in the Godzilla set right now.
0: Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what it is. <laughs> if you put your hand at an angle just under Wolverine's chin so that you can see his left hand and you can see his claws, but you can't see any of his body it's pretty good
1: yeah uh, and it even works with the background it's just like him in the foreground with buildings in the background but then when you come see the foreground imagery of these buildings and chimneys that's where the sketching of like oh well he's doing a thing where conceptually maybe he's above it all right it's a I don't know it's not great
0: Uh, Marvel Comics presents number 47 concludes the black shadow white shadow story um should have concluded like eight issues ago but uh they really dragged this one out it seems like the last three or four issues was like ah i'm gonna do something about this black shadow and white shadow but mostly i'm just gonna talk about it and then it ends and then it's, it's rinse and repeat and this issue um he, he kills him in like the first panel Okay, he kills him in two pages, and uh, and then the rest of it is just like Wolverine finally does what he went to uh, Hong Kong to do in the first place, which is to go get the woman who died's kids out of Hong Kong and into Madripoor, where her, where their grandparents are. And Wolverine talks about how he's got friends and family and gee willikers.
1: The next Marvel Comics presents Wolverine's story as Eric Larson, and I historically am not an Eric Larson fan, but I I'm coming around, so I'm I'm actually I'm looking
0: forward to it. Well, we'll cover it here. We will. <laughs> not this week. Uh Avengers West Coast number sixty doesn't feature a lot of Magneto, just enough to get Magneto away from um away from or just enough to get Scarlet Witch away from Magneto and basically a rematch where the Avengers do all right against Magneto and he, he flees in terror.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of pages with, uh, Magneto doing stuff and, um, Quicksilver trying to get the, uh, the drop on him.
0: So this, if you, if you read it and you read the last couple of issues with Magneto, it, you'll, you'll notice a tone, tonal shift. And I think it's because we have John Byrne writing it before, who is a decent Magneto writer and now we're doing Roy and Dan Thomas, who are old school Magneto writers. And, uh, I, I thought the first couple of pages where they they get rid of Lee Harvey Oswald before he shoots JFK was interesting.
1: Yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, and that's the, the Time Master or what, what's that dude's name? I don't know. Immortus. Immortus, yeah. Um, that stuff was great. I was like, I wonder if this is going to play into the story. Maybe it plays into the, um, the
0: Avengers West Coast lore but um, not this issue really Yeah, at the end Immortus shows up and says I've been responsible for everything which means nothing (laughs) but uh, uh, they they, uh, the the Avengers West Coast managed to get Magneto into a chimney which explodes and they they think well do you think Magneto's truly dead this time and they all go nah
1: (laughs) and that's the last you see of Magneto in the issue
0: It turns out that uh, Quicksilver was working with Hank Pym the whole time, so...
1: Oh, that's right. That's how the escape asteroid um, is. Hank Pym surrounded the dog, uh, the Immortals, or the uh, Inhumans dog.
0: Inhumans dog. His name I can't recall. Lockjaw? Lockjaw. Yeah. It's a dog with a mustache. You gotta love Lockjaw.
1: With Pym particles and stuffed Lockjaw into his belt, and at the last moment when, I guess... Quicksilver was running all around. He was able to activate the particles, so that Lockjaw grew big, and they were able to teleport off of Asteroid M. Um, to me, it feels like John Byrne probably had more in his head, and whoever, like uh, the uh, Roy Thomas and John Thomas or whoever, were like, yeah, how do we get off of this? Uh, pin particles and Lockjaw, done.
0: How do we get Magneto out of this story? Because <laughs> <laughs> I really don't feel like doing a Magneto story. And they accomplished that goal, because by the end of it, Magneto is not a part of it.
1: Uh yeah. And then uh then there's Fantastic
0: Four. Fantastic Four number three forty two is essentially a Johnny Storm story, but it has a nice little bit with um Rusty Rusty what's his name? Collins. Rusty Collins.
1: This is also Rex Valve penciling. <laughs> it's uh it's been a rough
0: month here. Well, this is a filler issue in the Fantastic Four. This issue's a mess. It's, uh, it's, it's weird because like in, in the Marvel Universe, uh, apparently people set themselves on fire because they really like the Human Torch. And that's really upsetting, as, as it would be if you were the Human Torch. And the Human Torch has frequently proclaimed, I'm not going to be the Human Torch anymore because I can't stand this. And that's when Rusty comes in and says, but I admire you and I have fire powers, so help me out.
1: Well, this one kind of starts off with, like, he throws a temper tantrum. and
0: When when Rusty first shows up?
1: No, the opening page of this issue, Johnny Storm throws a temper tantrum, which sets a big fire. And he's like, oh, man, I'm never going to be the torch again. But then uh, as he's kind of, like, wandering around, people keep coming up to him. Uh, Oh, and there's a woman who, yeah, she's like, my brother's dead because of you.
0: Yeah, cuz in the news somebody set themselves on fire and said I want to be like the human torch and then set himself on fire. And that's why that's why he loses it in the initial oh, is it pages? Cuz somebody that came on the radio or something like that.
1: Some punk girl tries to kiss him and so he's like, "Oh my god, I got to get away from all you people." And then Rusty Which Collins shows up uh and is like, "Hey, I'm a huge fan." And he doesn't even say that. He's just like, "Hey, Mr. Storm." Uh, I'd like to talk to you for a minute, and he's like, "Get away from me, stupid fan!" <laughs> he's you like, "Look oh. my face, kid!" Oh man, and he's like, "Oh, just kidding. Sorry, I'm in a bad mood." And that's when they get attacked by these robots. And Johnny Storm promises not to use his powers. Although, are these chains preventing him from using his powers, or is he just not using his powers?
0: He's just not using his powers. Well, that's stupid. But Rusty uses his powers, right. which the robots think are Johnny Storm's powers. Because through this whole thing, Rusty doesn't want to reveal that he's a mutant. Right. Because he doesn't want people coming after him. So he kind of acts like the Human Torch for the Human Torch.
1: They also get into a bit of like, oh, I burnt a woman because I couldn't control my powers. And then a little later on, Johnny Storm is not using his powers. And and Rusty does, but... Uh, I would have liked it if Johnny... So Johnny Storm can control fire. He can generate fire and he can control power. I would have liked it if um, Rusty Collins would have like made some fire and then somehow this would be okay for Johnny Storm to control, but he doesn't. Instead, it's more of a, hey, Rusty, you did it. You were able to, to use your fire powers and, and keep a close range so that nobody got hurt. Well done.
0: Well, that... It's kind of, it's sort of, what happens, a little bit. Yeah.
1: No. Did I get it it's, wrong?
0: It's kind of like the frame of that. Basically, Rusty can't see, so. The, oh yeah, that's true. The, the, the torch guides, uh, Rusty and how to use his powers, and is kind of is like using him as a conduit, so that it looks like, torch is using his powers mm. because he's covered in flame retardant at the time.
1: Oh yeah, that's right.
0: And uh, and then I think he does say, "Hey, great job, kid." You, you did that. We did it, Rusty. We beat him, and you controlled your flame's range so that there was minimal damage to the building was kind of tacked on at the end.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then Rusty's like, yeah, you should be the Human Torch or something like that. So he he's like, okay. Turns his flame on, and then Spider-Man shows up, and uh, whatever.
0: Hey, and Spider-Man goes through his fridge, and then uh, Johnny Storm starts giving TED Talks <laughs> about how you shouldn't light yourself on fire, which seems like a pretty obvious topic, but... You know, it's a Marvel universe, so who knows? Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. I think that's it, isn't it? That's everything. More than enough, right? That was a satisfactory episode.
1: Certainly more than I feel that I can handle at this time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Adam, if you've got nothing else, then I've got nothing else. i got nothing else. Great. As I said, then, I have nothing else either. So... (laughs) Until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam.
0: And the Danger Room is closed.